remain standing as we now turn our eyes to God's Word. Um, calling a little bit of an audible, I'll explain more about that here in a moment for today's message. But today we're going to be beginning our thoughts from 2 Corinthians, actually, chapter 5, verse 18. I'm actually going to step back to 17, and then we'll go 18 through 20. Therefore, let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, Thanks be to God indeed. You may be seated. Um, so it's, it seems appropriate since it's about football season to give you that unwanted football illustration. Um, but uh, if you are familiar with football, if you're a football person, you know that the sideline, the coaches call in the plays to the quarterback, and the quarterback comes into the huddle, and he, and he says, okay, guys, this is the play we're going to run. But sometimes when the play comes in and they step up to the line and they see the defense that's in front of them, sometimes the quarterback has to call an audible and change the play at the line and then so that, so that they have a better chance of moving the ball downfield. Well, this Sunday, today is one of those Sundays, okay, um, because I'm having to, I feel like I need to call, call a little bit of an audible about where we are in 1 Corinthians um, and the conversation, the discussion about divorce, not because of anything related to that, other than the fact of through some wisdom with the elders, we had a, had a, pre-ta- we had a pre-taxing, uh, pre-involved uh, pre, uh, week last week in terms of caring for various aspects of our ministry of our church. And so trying to spend time really being careful with the conversation about divorce didn't seem wise this morning. So I wanted to make sure that I could come and we could be precise and think through the, all the relevant texts because it is a big topic. It's oftentimes a misunderstood topic, and I want to make sure that we do it well. So I'm stepping away from it just for the day. And actually what we're going to talk about, and you see it there in your guides if you have it, um, we're going to talk about the care of souls in the context of the local church. Now... The reason why we're going to talk about that particular topic is really uh, a couple of reasons. Number one is it's really relevant to our church in terms of the culture that we build here at Grace Church and frankly for the care of souls that God has given us and stewardship over in our church. And I just felt like if I'm going to change directions, this might be one that I'd want to do a one-off sermon on. And so today we're going to be kind of doing kind of a biblical excursus, a biblical vision, a biblical survey on the issue of how souls are cared for and why the church is so important to that reality in today's world. And so why is this topic important? At least why did this come to the forefront for me? Well, I think number one is um, as I engage with other pastors and friends in the world around me and, and, and we hear the different things that churches face, I often get conversations about like, 
So how is it that you guys deal with these things in your church, and how is it that your culture seems to kind of be very more open? I think we do at Grace do a good job of, like, we are setting the table for, hey, come, and it's okay to be not okay, but it's not okay to stay that way kind of mentality we have at Grace Church. And why is it producing health and growth in your church and all that kind of stuff? And I'm like, there's no secret to the sauce here at Grace Church. It's Jesus. It's about Christ and him being the center of everything that we do here. And so that's not a mere Sunday school answer. That's actually the very meat. That's the very marrow of this church. That Jesus and his sufficiency for us is everything. And when we grasp that as the church, it impacts how we then go and do membership well. Um, and so I also think the second reason for that is as we continue to see growth by God's grace in this morning here, here this morning, we got several new faces and we got a lot of faces that are regulars are not here this morning because of uh, just whatever reasons. And then we got people down the other room watching on the, on the overflow. So, you know, the Lord has been kind and gracious to continue to grow us steadily as a church. And I just think it's always important to step aside and go, this is what we're about. This is the culture that we're trying to build here. And and so that's the main idea that I want to talk about this morning is what makes the church a unique community in the world. It's the supernatural care of souls rooted in the love of Christ. Let me say that again. What makes the church a unique community in the world is the supernatural care of souls that is rooted in the love of Christ. Now, when you think about cultures of churches, and we have these common Christians talk about the differences in their churches all the time. Pastors do this all the time. And we think about what is it that we tend to talk about when we say, what's, the, what's, what's it like at your church? Well, what do we go to instantly? Well, we go to the worship experience. We perhaps go to the catalytic or charismatic personality that's the primary speaker on Sunday morning. Or we go to the Disney-like children's experience that you might be getting in one part of the building. Or the really, really well-tuned small group ministry in your church. I mean, you can, you can go any, other, any of those directions. And, um, or maybe how your particular niche stage of life is just really met well at a particular church. Whatever it may be. But then what happens is, what I've found is when we give, our, give all of our attention to creating our culture around those things, and those things then change, and cultures change, and, and, and things change in the church, what happens is, is churches end up rooting all of their, their identity on those things. And then when they go into decline, they don't understand how to fix what's going on in their church. And so what do they do? They just kind of keep throwing the same old things at the wheel thinking, well, okay, if we can just do children's ministry better, if we can just do worship better, if we can just get the right leader in front of our church, like that's what will help us recover. And I do, guys, I, I deal with this all the time. I work uh, really closely with pastors. I'm the, uh, a team leader for our church planning ministry down in the uh, Concord Baptist Association. And guys, it's, I mean, there's, there's churches that struggle, and this is, this is where, this is the conversation I have over and over and over. And so what I end up doing and whenever we, not just me, but when me and our directors and different other churches that are healthy, one of the things that we, I just tend to go that, that we can isolate things down to is this, John 15. This is like the, like the verse in my mind that says what the church is all about. Verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So what we see in Jesus' passage, Jesus' words to his disciples, is not just superfluous, kind of thin, veiled love, but a love that is rooted in eternal 
agape love that then is manifested in real life situations within the local church. And so what I want to do for a moment, and you, if you've got one of the little handouts, you'll be well served by this. If you don't, that's okay. Scribble down the references to these things. And here's what I hope as we look through some several verses just for a few minutes, and I'll make a little bit of brief com- comment on each one of them. I promise you I won't be too long on each of them. But I just want to look at lots, just survey lots of New Testament passages on this very topic of care of souls and what the church is supposed to be doing. So that you get a grasp that this is not just a small thing. This is like the thing that actually makes the church distinct in the world, okay? And you want to be a vital member of the church that you would take these patches, maybe mark them in your Bible, whatever. And as you read through these things, they will be help you go, man, that's really what we're about. And that's really what I'm participating in. That's what I contribute to at Grace Church. So Acts 20 kind of starts in terms of the instructions to the elders that Paul, uh, there at the church at Ephesus. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's talking to the elders to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is like so vital to the very nature and character of the church. This is what he, it's so important that he says this, this is the one thing that Paul left the elders with. It's not going to be your strategies on reaching the Greco-Roman world. It's not going to be your, your efforts to change social mores in the world. It is going to be pastor, love your flock. Pastor, care for your flock. Pastor, attend to them in their hardest moments of life. Pastor, don't get distracted by all these other things. Pastor, this is what you are called to do. Why? Because this is my flock, and I've paid my own blood for that. And I'm giving you a high stewardship of that. James 5, 13 through 16, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Look at the one another's. We're going to see a lot of one another's this morning. That you may be healed. So there's this kind of um. There's kind of in this passage a twofold thing. There is a go to your elders because they're shepherds of your soul, like we see there in Acts 20. But then there's like this one another reality of like that should be bleed over in the way in which you and I care for one another as members of the church. Right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? When we don't do this, we suffer. We suffer in silence. We suffer in darkness. We suffer in silos of our own making. And so when you have a church that's seeking to do what I hope what we're doing here is to say, There's no need for the silos. This is a place for you to bring your garbage out, walk with one another, and we dig in and do the hard work. This is what it's supposed to be. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. How does God want us to deal with this? Well, look what he says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So then there's these gifts that God gives within the church. Now, these are not offices per se. These are just gifts to the church. And so he gives you and I these gifts to use within the church. Of course, some of them are offices. We, we understand the shepherds and teachers and whatnot, but, but in terms of pastors and, and deacons. But these other gifts are there. So apostles, what did apostles do? Now, of course, we're not talking about capital A apostles. We're talking about the apostles who kind of led and kept the church moving forward. And you got 
the, the, the prophets who are the truth tellers, you got the evangelists who are sharing the gospel, you got the shepherds who are tending to the sheep, and you got the teachers who would just take the time to steadily help people understand the word of God. And they do all of this, and this can happen all across this church. But people who are willing to give these gifts and be part of this process, to equip the saints for the ministry, work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. So the care of souls is very much intrinsic to the very call of the church. Keep, let's keep on reading. Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. When we don't pursue these things, this is exactly what we basically set the course for for our membership. When we don't do this, we allow people to be carried around by waves of sin and destruction and shame and hurt and pain. I can tell you this, that I've seen this over and over and over again in 25 years of ministry. And so it's, I had one pastor here recently ask me, you know, we were just, we, we talked to each other. We don't give each other specifics, but we talk about, you know, just the caring and loving and uh, pastoral care of members of your church. And he says, man, it seems like the Lord's given you a, a, a pretty big stewardship of that in your church. And he's like, he says, I, can, I think in 25 years, I don't know that I've ever had half of what you've had just in the last couple years. And I, and, and I didn't say this to be condemning in any way. And actually, Wes, our director, made kind of cut him off of the past. He kind of said the same thing. He goes, but then have you been pastoring? Shepherding means you're going to uncover some pretty smelly things sometimes. And you want to know your sheep. We don't want... You, I don't want you. The elders don't want you. The deacons don't want you being carried around by every wind of doctrine and, and every wave of sin and, 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 and life and deceitful schemes and whatnot. Acts 6. And so how do they do this? I mean, like, they quickly get into this. The church is blowing up, and Acts 6 gives us a picture of what kind of happened. Well, then, in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. Verse 1, a complaint from the Hellenist Jews, all right, arose, means the Greek Jews, um, well, against the Hebrew Jews, all right, those who are from Jerusalem because of their widows were being neglected. In other words, the ministry was just falling short. People were not being cared for very well. And the 12, meaning the apostles at this time, who were the de facto pastors of the church before they started raising up pastors for local churches, they got together and said, look, it's not right for us to give up preaching the word and to serve tables. Now, this is not like a haughty, arrogant kind of thing, right? This is not me telling you that I just, man, don't bother me with your stuff. I got to sit in my study all day. That's not what they're saying. They're just saying, man, it's just wise for us to continue to expand the infrastructure to bring in people who will come in and they will help, help carry this burden so that we can keep our eyes on the pulse of the church and we can preach the word faithfully and we can pray for our church. So here, here we go. Therefore, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. Now, this is not everything about what deacons are, but it's at least the, what we would say is at least some kind of foundational in, insight into what we want in our deacons, right? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And they said this, this pleased the whole gathering. I mean, the whole church was there when they said, hey, man, we just got to get some people in place to help us manage the love and care for this church. And everyone like, that's a good idea. It's a great idea. So then they picked up all these men's, I won't, men's name out right here, and I won't go through all their names because I'm going to butcher pronouncing them at this point. And then what happens? The word continues to increase. The church continues to grow, verse 7. And the number of disciples multiply greatly in Jerusalem. Healthy churches grow as healthy churches. Right? Healthy things grow. 
And I think that's exactly why the care of souls, and when it's done well in the church, it's not a distraction from the church's ministry. It actually is the church's ministry. When you do it well, you're not being distracted from all the other stuff in the world. You're actually doing exactly what the God has called your church to do so that when other people go, wait a minute, there's something very unique about what's going on over there. And they go, man, I, I don't know that there's any such place in the, on the, whole, in the whole world that actually loves and cares for people the way I see this weird band of people who have some pretty strange beliefs in the world. Colossians 1, 28, him we proclaim, I said this earlier, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So in other words, what is Paul saying? The gospel is the answer. We proclaim Jesus. Like, the, like, okay, guys, look, it's not just really fancy ways and programs that we care for people. It's like, no, we're going to bring the balm of the gospel into people's lives. We'll get to this a little bit more in, in, in a little bit, but that's important. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 is what we said earlier, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If the church is reconciled to Christ and they're living out that reconciliation in Christ, then that's just something that's incredibly attractive to the world. And in Hebrews 13, 17, he says to submit to your leaders and obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who will give an account and let them do it with joy and not groaning. It's tough work, but I love it. And I know our pastors and elders in this church love it. So with all of those texts we just covered in mind for a few moments, what is what I want to do is I want to spend the remainder of our time, the balance of our time, considering how the church should always be aiming at the care of souls more and better. Number one, the care of souls begins with Christ's care for us. That's something you should have picked up by now. The reason the church is able to care the way that we are able to, are called to care is because, 1 John 4, 19, we love, Why? Because he first loved us. God cares for us, and his care for us began all the way back in the garden. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, particularly 2 and 3. When God comes into the garden with Adam and he gives him covenantal boundaries, he loves him enough to put boundaries around him. It's not a bad thing. It's boundaries because so that you can know what is right and good and how to live your life. He comes to the man in the garden and says, it's not good for you to be alone. And he provides him his wife, Eve. He provides for them when, they're in, when sin ensued. When they're running and they're hiding behind trees because they, they, they gave in to the temptation to, to, to eat something that they should not and partake of something they should not have. And God loves them enough to speak truth. Where are you, Adam? Well, that's an invitation Amen. to come out of the shadows. Brothers and sisters, that's the invitation. And it's not just the one time when we get saved kind of thing, but it's an invitation to all of us who continue to kind of move throughout this life and we sojourn through this life and we find ourselves in dark places sometimes and the invitation, brothers and sisters, still stands. Where are you? He provides covering for them because what happened? What did they do? They sowed fig leaves all themselves and as if somehow no, that was going to be sufficient covering and God later on says, uh, nope, actually he sacrifices a blood covering, pointing forward to the ultimate blood covering of his son Jesus. No, that's the kind of covering, something I provide for you. You cannot provide covering for your sin on your own. 
God promises redemption and reconciliation. Even in the midst of that pronouncement of sin, the curse of sin, where he's going through and he curses the, 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 the serpent, he curses Eve, and he curses Adam, and he says to them, but even in the midst of that, he says, but I will destroy Satan one day. I will destroy sin and death one day. I will crush his head. And then the faithful unfolding of that moment, when they're outside the garden, they're separated from God, God still faithfully unfolds his promise of redemption through that progressive like, anticipation of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Son of God, who comes and has come and will return again as our incarnate shepherd king. All of that frames what it means to be the church. And all that frames how you and I are to care for one another. But it goes beyond that. Even when Jesus does come, God's care for his church extends beyond Christ's own death. John 14, 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. And then he begins to unfold the promise of the one, the Holy Spirit, whose presence would come and he would send him and he'd be a minister to them in his presence through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And, and, and that that ministry of the Holy Spirit will feed our souls and will provide the much needed strength that we need as we continue to carry on throughout this life. And in 1 Corinthians 1 4, God comforts us through that in our afflictions. We care for souls because He cared for our soul. Second observation. The care of souls has God's glory always in view. This is what gets sometimes lost when we care for souls, is that we realize that God's glory is way bigger than the consequences of what will happen when we actually have to care for somebody. And the things that we have to do, the hard decisions we have to make, actually hurt, at least temporarily. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. That is why he gives us good works, so that when we do the right things, when we do the good things, especially towards the household of faith, we may walk in them and we may give glory to God. Ephesians 2, 10, created, we're created for good works so we might walk in them. At the very center of the very Reformation, the, uh, uh, of the Protestant Reformation, is was that reordering the purposes of good works, not as a means to salvation with God, but as a unfolding, as a fruit of that salvation. The Protestantism, um, all of the reformers recovered the gospel message once delivered that God saves by grace alone and through faith alone. Amen? Amen. But they didn't put away good works in the life of the Christian. By no means. God's people have much to do. And those good works give witness to the work of God through the Spirit when, that He has regenerated us and that He has gently, sometimes not so gently, called us into salvation, called us out of the shadows. The good works of church towards one another shows the glory of God. When we act in such a way towards one another and we exercise those good works towards one another, there is something that gives God preeminent glory through his church. First Peter 2, 11 and 12, that we are called 
he says, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war over your souls. In other words, when we do good works, we're doing it in such a way that we are warring together to put sin to death. Again, you've heard me say this before, but John Owen, one of the great Puritans, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And there is absolutely no, like, there, there is no in-between. There is no little gray area. If you and I, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the love of the church, are not killing sin, it will kill you. And he says at the end of that letter, 1 Peter, whoever serves as one who serves... By, who serves by the strength of, that God supplies, and they do this in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Third, the care of souls is for our own good. One of the ways God works in the world in these last days is through the words and deeds of his people, and particularly through the words and deeds of his people towards one another. I've already mentioned that that we are the body of Christ. We'll get into this in a few weeks when we get to 1 Corinthians down the road here and talk about the body of Christ and how the body needs one another. But the members, without having to go too far down, the members are called to be one another each other, right? Love one another and encourage one another and edify one another and exhort one another and to support and serve one another. Why? So that what we find in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, then do good works, do good to everyone. Why? And it's, I mean, sorry, and who specifically? To those of the household of faith. Why we do that? Because we are the body of Christ. And that makes us something different than people can find in any other social circle in the world. The one another commands are so entrenched throughout the New Testament. Just try to read any of the letters and see if you don't run across the one another passages regularly. They give evidence of the fact that under the headship of Jesus, the one another passages remind us that we are helping each other become complete in Jesus. You don't just walk in here on Sunday morning, put on your little fake smile, grab your cup of coffee, and pretend everything's okay. That's not what we're getting after here, Grace. Real soul care is one anothering. It's good for us. It helps us to show that, our, that we need our dependency on Christ as we learn to receive help from the family of Christ. Instead of self-sufficiency, we learn Christ's sufficiency. It is the secret of the sauce. He is sufficient for you. And when we offer the church anything other than Christ's sufficiency in terms of the main ails, things that ail our soul, we are offering them inferior support. We are called to pour ourselves into the care of others, especially the household of faith. And this will unlock the treasure room, the joy, and the treasures of God in our lives. Four, the care of souls is supernatural, though. Got to get that. It's not just something that we can just muster up by our own ability and read a little few bab, you know, Bible verses and throw around some, staple some Bible verses to your forehead and, 
No. Like, the kind of work that we're endeavoring to do in the care of souls in the church is supernatural. Why? Because the care of souls is difficult. It's messy. It's messy. The hardest part of caring for a soul that's found themselves in a, in a dark place is, the, is that initial step into the light. It gets really easy after that. They're really coming out in the light, really giving it out there, and it's not just light before other brothers and sisters, but it's light of being honest with yourself before your God. And when that happens, and that supernaturally happens, our faith is built in a way that we could never have imagined. But please know, soul care is also not just difficult, but it's uncomfortable. We would rather just go to our own trusted little systems of strength and, 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 and expertise. But that's not what the soul care, soul care is called for in, in the local church. Real soul care brings us face to face with our weakness in Christ. So, brother and sister, and you're trying to minister to someone in the church in some capacity, trust me, you feel weak and you should feel weak. And if you come to me and say, I'm not qualified, I'm going to say your weakness qualifies you. Because all you have is Jesus. And if you come to me and you're saying, I don't know how to walk out of this darkness, I'm too weak, I'm going to tell you, your weakness qualifies you, Jesus is enough. Bracing our weakness is not bad. Dependency on the good, loving, kind, faithful, gracious, and all-powerful, all-knowing, all-merciful God is, gives us so much more hope than we could ever possibly imagine, and that's what the church is always, always, always doing. Christ-centered soul care does not mean, though, we have nothing to do. It doesn't mean that we just kind of staple a spiritual answer on everything. No, we dig in, we uncover, we help people to be honest and be real and or walk with them in their pain and their suffering and sinners and sufferers and alike. But what it does mean is that we are fully dependent on God to do the work. We work, but we're, God's really the one doing the work. It's his job to convict, it's his job to enlighten, it's his job to change, it's his job to comfort, it's his job to keep the sinner and the sufferer near. It's his job to do that. And all we can do is come alongside that and keep reminding people of that as we support that work. So then, it means that real lasting change is possible more and more in our lives as we are learning. And what's the goal, right? To be conformed into the image of Christ. That's our aim. And that God is the only one who can produce that. We cannot produce the image of Christ in our lives on our own. We can be a, and, and so the Holy Spirit, the, 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 his agency in us is the one producing that work, but we come alongside that with, with word and spirit and prayer and support and community. And we just keep on gently nudging each other forward. Endeavoring never to allow ourselves to walk that path alone. I, I, you've heard me say this before. You, you can't, the Christian life there's no point in Scripture that, says, that envisions the Christian life as a solo effort. The Christian who is not part of a local church that says they, and says they love them and is going to be willing to be vulnerable with them will probably at some point struggle to actually have their faith grow because you're, you're not designed to do this by yourself. 
And then last, the care of souls is normal. It's supernatural, but this is normal. This is exactly what the church should do. That when we go into the church, like, again, sometimes people think, well, my gosh, all of it, if, if people are always got problems in a church and struggles in a church, that seems not the norm. And I'm here to tell you it actually is the norm. It actually is the norm. The care for people is in difficult seasons of life is not an anomaly. It actually is the reality. And so when you're weak, I need to be strong for you. When I'm weak, I need you to be strong for me. But all of this in the process of the Spirit empowering that. Because only the church can grasp, and the reason why it's normal is because, and, and why this is the normal way the church does things is because we offer something in the midst of care for souls that no one else in the world can do. Why? What is it? We can be really honest about the fact that we're sinners. The world, when they deal with people's problems, avoids the fact that we're sinners. You just got a thing that we can apply, maybe we can get some new habits and you'll be good. And, and some of that can be helpful. Don't get me wrong. Please don't hear me say that. But at the end of the day, the norm, the reason why this is normal in the church is because we can be, we're going to be really honest about what's, what the real problem is, and it's sin. That's the normal reality and normal condition of the human soul. And that we are hopelessly enslaved to our sin and darkness without the intervening power of God in our lives. That's the norm. That's why the gospel, why we said the gospel is everything here. It's why Christ is everything. Because when you have Christ at the center, what is happening? We're, we're admitting the norm is, I'm really, really messed up and I need Jesus. I'm really, really messed up. And I know that if you're in this room this morning and you're struggling with some kind of sin, and whether it's known or not known by other believers, I know what you're thinking. This doesn't feel normal. And in one sense, it shouldn't be, right? Because it's not, it doesn't feel normal because we are out of sorts with who we're supposed to be. We're out of sorts with the image of God that, that we were born into, but that's been all distorted because of sin, and it's Christ who comes and restores the Im his image in us. And so in so far as saying it's the normal reality of the local church until Jesus comes, it's absolutely true. But in one sense, if you're sitting in this room and you're struggling with sins and sin and darkness and whatever else, you shouldn't feel normal in that sense, right? Not because you don't have the freedom to come out in the light, because you do, because that's exactly what I've already tried to establish thus far. But when you don't feel this, when you don't feel right, it's because ultimately you need Christ. You need him. And so inferior definitions of normalcy that the world relies on, the church gets to come in and says, no, Christ, the true human, the true man, the true Adam, the new Adam, he resets normalcy in the human heart. And he invites you and I to come into the true humanity with him. Amen? That's the goal. That's the care of souls that we're after here at Grace. We don't know how long Jesus will tarry. 
It's not our job to go and worry about every little shift in the sand of time. Until Jesus returns, this is the normative framework, the normal reality that the church should give its heart and life to. To be a hospital for sinners and sufferers, both giving and receiving care until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we consider all that we've come here this morning and our brother Tom comes to lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning, I just pray that our hearts would both be challenged and encouraged but also exhorted to know that we are invited to a table that we do not deserve to come to, but you have, through the power of your Son, invited us to. But we must come with a heart that is willing to be honest about who we really are and who God really is. And uh, so, Father, we're going to ask for your help in these things. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.